another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times, and the things that we can do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always from my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, traveling in my personal mobile studio, which is my little 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI. And as I uh, reach out to my friends today, I want to remind you, as always, this show is one man's opinion. Yours may differ, and that does make does not make us really disagree. I think most of the people that listen to this show agree about the fundamentals of modern survival philosophy, which simply means that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so we prepare for bad things to happen tomorrow and hope for good. And it really is that simple. This is not the tinfoil hat brigade. We're not a whole bunch of people hiding in the mountains somewhere waiting for the black helicopters to fly and afraid that FEMA is going to put us all in Nazi-type concentration death camps. But yet we're portrayed that way. So today's show, I'm going to talk a lot about the stigma that's out there, not just in the mainstream media, but in mainstream society and what they think a survivalist is. I'm going to give you some stories of some things that have recently happened lately uh, in my own life and conversations that I've had and how you can change people's opinions simply by asking questions. And I'm going to talk about, oh, I don't know, four real threats that you can point out to people that will make them just stop for a second and look and go, maybe these guys, maybe they're on to something. Before I do that, though, I have some house cleaning I want to do in the beginning of the show instead of the end of the show, because some of this stuff I keep forgetting to do at the end of the show, and I don't want to do that again. First thing is supporting Members Brigade. Today will be the last day that you can join as a beta member in the Supporting Members Brigade. Uh, the Supporting Members Brigade is a way that you can support the show. It's $5 a month or $50 a year, your choice. And uh, all, it, all it is is saying basically you want to help support the show, you like the work I'm doing, and you voluntarily are contributing to the show. That said, there is a members area where there's going to be exclusive members-only content. There are now four videos back there that we shot this weekend. We're going to shoot some more videos this weekend, try to get some variety back there. Once I get, you know, uh, eight videos or so back there, have my hundred beta members trying everything, nothing's breaking, everything's working, I'm not killing myself with tech support to, to keep it running, and I'm sure that it's good and ready to go, I'll open it back up. So those of you that want to be in the supporting members brigade uh, as a beta member need to do it today, and there is no link. People are emailing me, I can't find the button, I can't find the link. There isn't one since it's beta. It's never been put out in print. There's nowhere on the site you're going to find it. You have to send me an email at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com, ask for the link, and I'll send it to you with an explanation about what's going on with the wall. There are 98 members in the brigade right now. Let's say we were taking 100, uh, but I said 100 for the wall. There's about 20 bricks on the wall not claimed yet, and I'm assuming at this point, after multiple emails, that those 20 people don't want a brick. So I'm going to run it for the rest of the day. I cannot, at this point, guarantee 
that you'll get a brick on the wall if you sign up today. Uh, because those other people may catch up. Uh, I might expand the wall to 105 to accommodate. I, I can't guarantee I'm going to do that. I don't know if that would be fair to the other members. Um, but the wall is pretty simple. It just says that you're one of the first 100 people to step up and support the show. And it's your name, however you want to display it. Some people are doing their proper name. Some are doing form handles, whatever you want. And then a link that says sponsored website that links to any site that you want to support. Uh, so that's pretty cool, and it's what I decided to do to just thank the people that are willing to join this thing before it's finished and uh, help me test it and step up early and say I want to support the show. So done with that. And I want to point out in the future, if you're getting a little bit tired of hearing about a supporting members brigade every show, I'm only doing this while we're in beta. I'm moving toward a point where I'm going to have kind of a professional intro and a professional exit. And once I get to that point, it's going to be 15 seconds, you know, for more information about supporting members brigade, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on whatever. All right. So it's not going to be this constant thing that's it's been lately. I just really want people that want to be in the beta to have an opportunity at it. The next thing I want to point out is Friday I'm going to give away one free position at an apple seed shoot in the listener appreciation contest. Appleseed is a rifleman program. The Appleseed Project pr- promotes r- American riflemen and promotes American history and the history of the riflemen in America. And it's a great day to spend out learning how to shoot, learning how to account for windage, and learning a lot of history about the United States. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link in today's show, tomorrow's show, and Thursday's show. If you're going to compete and try to win on Friday, I want you to go to Appleseed's website first. I want you to look at the schedule. I want to make sure that if you win, there's a shoot coming up this year that you can and will go to. I don't want to give this to somebody that doesn't use it. Uh, So that's important. Make sure you check that out. I think it's going to be really cool. The next thing I want to talk about, and this could help with the stigma, which is our main subject as well today. I think there's a hesitance in our community for people to reach out to each other and get together. There's a couple things they tell me this. One's pretty simple. I get friend requests from you guys on Facebook every day. I probably get four to five friend requests because of the podcast. I accept almost all of them, and I'd say almost all of them, 99%. And usually, and now I've got, you know, a hundred friends or more from the show alone, usually when I see the person's request, it says you have no friends in common. Now, to me, if you're using a social network platform, some of you guys should start to know each other and reach out to each other that way. Uh, Facebook is what it is. I'm not a huge fan of Facebook. I did it because I think it's a cool way to promote the show and I was asked to. That, so with that, this is kind of a aside, but if you want to get in touch with me, if you want to get directly in touch with me, doing it through Facebook is probably not going to get you the fastest response because I log into Facebook maybe twice a week to accept my friends. And, and answer things and what have you. Send me an email. I give it out every show. Jack at the survival podcast.com. Email me directly. That's the fastest way to get a response from me. Um, but that's just something I've noticed, and it's not that big a deal. But the other thing is, I know there's a lot of you guys that are in the Dallas Fort Worth area that are on the forum, and even a lot of you guys that posted like the agriculture, uh, crop growing, you know, uh, uh, gardening forum on our forum. And ask about things like compost. 
And then a gentleman on our forum named Garmin, uh, Gary Garmin, uh, put out a thing and said, hey, anybody that wants to come by my house with a pickup truck, the city of Mesquite will give away two cubic yards of free compost a month. Bring me a load and I'll get you a load. So that went out about a month ago. No one took him up on his offer. And uh, I think he emailed me or something and let me know about it. Somehow I found it. And uh, I went out and we went to the uh, Mesquite composting facility, which was amazing. I didn't shoot any video because it was just way too windy and way too cold to bother with out there. Uh, but it was huge amounts, piles of compost piled up, big bucket loader. They loaded down my poor half-ton truck to the point where I could barely drive it. We took it back to Gary's place. Uh, I dumped as much as he wanted in his driveway and then drove back to Arlington with damn near still a full-level truckload to my box because we had it piled way up, and he was like, that's enough. I don't need any more. So I got some free compost out of the deal. I got to meet a fan, and I got to meet another member of our community, and I don't think enough of that goes on. And I think some folks, you know, I get a lot of emails, what about OPSEC? What about OPSEC? And I don't mean, like, as a show topic. And there's a place for OPSEC. But I mean, like, you have an address in your, your email. What about OPSEC? Is there somebody going to come to your house and steal all your preps? Um, no, I, I really don't think they are. And I think that if you wanted to figure out which house to rob in my area, if you were an educated criminal that might actually use that kind of information, you probably would be more likely to use that information to not rob my house. Because you know, I'll shoot you, or my wife will shoot you, or your, my son will shoot you. We have an alarm system, right? We have a hardened home. We have dogs that will bite you. Wrong house. So I'm not that worried. But the reason I do that is that the email service I use requires a physical address to comply with the anti-spam legislation. But it just seems like some of you guys are so worried about OPSEC that you're not even communicating beyond a forum or a blog with like-minded people in your community. And I want to see more reaching out to people that are close to you. Just to, you know, go into the regional boards and start setting up some meetups. Maybe start setting some meetup groups. If any of you guys set up a, a Dallas area or Fort Worth area, North Texas area meetup group to talk about survival and preparedness, I will join it and I will come. And I can't do any more to support it than that. So let's start looking at that. So let's get into, with that said, let's talk about this anti-survivalist sentiment that's out there. And it, not even just anti, but just some of it's anti and some of it's just a lack of understanding and some of it's just, oh, you poor people. Right? It, it's not. Even, it's almost a sympathy. Like, you poor guys are crazy. You think that, you know, the whole world's going to end and you're not living your life the right way and what have you. And that's a big part of why my show tagline is longer than I would do for most marketing products for a tagline. But I had to say something that was different than what people are used to hearing in the survivalist community or from the survivalist community. And that's living a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. The modern survivalist lifestyle is not composed of running around in the woods, dressed up in camouflage, hiding from the government uh, with a bunch of German Shepherd dogs sitting on uh, you know, a pile of mountain house food buried in a bunker in the ground. That's not 
us. Now, there's people that do that. There are the extremist survivalists. Some of them are in hate groups. Some of them are in these, you know, neo-Nazi groups. And again, I found out recently that when I talk like this, that I annoy some of you people that are in these neo-Nazi type groups, white supremacist groups. Good, I want to annoy you. I don't like you. All right, you're the only group of people out there I don't want listening to my show. The only group. I don't want you associated with me. I don't want to be associated with you. Quit listening. So there's some of that. But even some of these people that are really extremist survivalists, they're not racist. They're not polarized out there. And that group of people that I have so much distaste for, the reason I did have a distaste for those people isn't because of what they're capable of doing. It's what the media does with them. They're held up as an example of what a survivalist is. And we need to get beyond that. And there's a couple things that got me thinking about doing this show topic. Number one is a post on the forum the last day or two that I responded to yesterday of an article. And I don't know who the dolt is that wrote the article. And I don't know if it came from a blog or a real news piece. I don't know if the guy's a real journalist or not. It doesn't really matter. Because his sentiments are out there. They're felt by our community. When we tell somebody, hey, yeah, I listen to this show called The Survival Podcast, or hey, yeah, I'm a modern survivalist, or even, hey, you know what, you really should think about whether you're going to just keep your money in the stock market. I know they told you the bottom's there, but do you really think the bottom's there? Do you understand how much debt we're in? Even a statement like that gets people kind of like, you know, triggered up. But what got me about this article is the way we were painted. I've never seen it this bad before. There were phrases in the article like, now the survivalists are pinning their hopes to the collapse of the world economy. As though we want these things to occur. As though we're sitting around and we're all right-wing, nut-job, eccentric, Pentecostal Christians on the farthest right of the right that make people like Jimmy Swaggart look like an atheist. We're way, and we're all sitting around praying in our little religious compounds. Oh God, bring the end to the earth here now. Smite all of the non-believers. That's how this freaking thing comes across. Now, he doesn't really make any religious jabs. But that's the image that I got from this article. You know, they can't wait for it. I'll put a link to this thread. You have to read what this idiot's saying. But then I want you to understand, he's not really a complete idiot. He's an idiot because he doesn't get the threat, but he's not an idiot because he's in touch with the way the general population seems to believe we are. So I want to talk about combating that today. And I'll give you a little story of something that recently happened. I went to a friend's birthday party Saturday night, and it was one of these big things where it's, you know, it was his 40th, and you're going to have black balloons and over the hill and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, his wife took the lead, made it a surprise party, invited about 50 of his friends, about 35 showed up. And uh, this is Hal Dodd, by the way, the guy that I uh, put up some posts, uh, posted some links to his little bug out location he procured for three grand. And 
and uh, he's a fishing guide out on the lake. That's how I met him. And so we're there, and, and, and the, the guy actually is a salesperson uh, for a company that does payroll services. And, of course, being a good friend, I gave his company a shot at uh, the four companies that I'm associated with, and they ended up winning the payroll across the board. Now, his national accounts manager and their boss were at this party. And the boss is talking to me, and Hal says, yeah, Jack does a show on survival stuff. You know, and he says, well, what kind of show? So the podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast was. He started asking me questions. I could tell, one, he actually was seriously interested. But what he was interested in was, what the hell is a podcast? How do you do this thing? And what's its impact on, you know, financially in the world? Like, is there a business here? Right? Because he's a sales guy that sells payroll services. It's his job to ask about stuff like that. I could also tell that he wasn't totally closed down to the concept of survival. He couldn't even feign that because he had no idea for whether, you know, how just all about a show. And I already gave this guy, you know, four pieces of business. So he's wondering, you know, does he have 27 people working for him? I can get his payroll business or, you know, so he can't come off too stigma. So he has to be nice. But he tells us a little bit there. And he's, you know, once he understood what I was doing, broadcasting for the car, et cetera, he goes, well, what kind of survival stuff can you talk about in your car? And I thought, well, if I start off with things like, you know, this is why the dollar's going to collapse to zero. I'm going to lose the guy. Because, you know, he's out there every day trying to build a business based on the economy continuing to run, and it's not something he wants to hear or believe. So the head in the sand would have took over. So I just said, hey, have you heard anything about, like, the bird flu? Right. He says, yeah. I said, now, you realize that, like, we may never see the bird flu ever really become an epidemic or a pandemic. And he asked what a pandemic was, and I explained the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic. It's worldwide, etc. You know, and I said, but there's new mutations of the flu all the time. There were three flu pandemics in the past 80 years. Two of them in the 50s and 60s killed, you know, 50,000-ish Americans each, 150, 135. But in 1918, we had the Spanish flu, which was just a variation of the flu virus, and it killed 50. Uh, 50,000 or three or whatever it was. I don't even remember now. But it was I had the figure in my head for some reason, and now it's gone. It might have been 50,000 Americans or I, I can't remember now. I'm sorry, folks. But I told him how many people died. It was half a million. I think it was half a million people died in the United States from the Spanish flu. And uh, the, globally, 50 million people died. And he was like, wow. And I said, look, here's the deal. Sooner or later, there's going to be a flu like this. And it might not be that bad, but it's going to be bad enough that it's going to be life-threatening. And once that happens with air travel today and all the ways that we move around more, it's going to move faster. And when they do a flu vaccine, do you get that it takes like six months to figure out the strain and then get enough vaccine? And he was like, yeah, I get that. Okay, I, you know, I was intelligent enough to, to grasp these things. So I said, uh, so if this happens, then the government's already said what they're going to do, which is they're going to have to lock us down in a quarantine. Now, this isn't like some underground stuff. I told him about pandemicflu.org. This is a serious threat the government's talking about. He's, you know, he's, now he's listening. And I said, now, so what we talk about with modern survivalism are things like simply storing up some extra food in your home. And we're not talking about MREs and military rations and stuff. We're talking about the same stuff you buy at the store every day, but getting some non-perishable items and slowly over time building up a supply. I said, now, because most Americans, if the government locked us down in a quarantine and said you have to stay in your homes for 60 days, they don't have enough food to make it. And I let it. 
go quiet. And he said, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to go 60 days. I said, most people wouldn't be able to go a month. He goes, I, yeah, I don't think we could go a month. I said, so now if you're under quarantine, you're in a situation where you can't leave, or if you decide you're going to leave anyway, now when you leave, you might expose yourself, and not only could you get this disease, but you could bring it back to your family, and nobody really wants to do that. So all we're saying is be aware that there's potential threats. Don't really change your life majorly, but just accept the fact that there's things beyond your control, and that you need to be prepared for that to occur. And the worst thing that happens, if that never happens, is you have some extra food in your house, just like your grandparents did. Well, now he's hooked. Now he's like, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, I never really... So you talk about this, and he was more about the technical aspects, how I do it, recorder, upload, can it be downloaded. And they said, well, like, what else do you talk about? Because now, instead of me shoving more topics, I'm just answering his questions. So when he said, I said, well, you know, I said, back in June and July and August and September, I was screaming at my audience, get your money out of the stock market. It's time to do it. Nobody's saying it's going to go up. You have nothing to lose except if you leave your money there. And I said it over and over again, and some did and some didn't. I had to tell them I want a financial advisor, but I gave them the advice that their financial advisor wouldn't. Bad times are coming. There's a huge, huge problem on the way. Everybody that's honest is talking about it and says it's there. And he said, yeah, I took a bath. I lost like half of my portfolio value. And this guy makes a lot of money, so I I wouldn't, for a life of me, think that it's not possible. This guy might have had a million dollars in his 401k. He's probably late 40s, top-level position in a company like that. If he's been doing that his whole life, half a million to a million dollars in a 401k, completely reasonable to believe, especially the way the market surged between 2002 and 2007. So he might have lost a half a million or a quarter million dollars. Now he's interested. And I said, here's where the site is. You can go listen. You don't have to. And I don't know whether he'll listen or not. But what I can tell you is that that guy didn't come away from the conversation thinking this dude is some crazy guy in a white supremacist group living in the middle of the mountains. This is a normal guy, an entrepreneur that runs multiple businesses, that takes this crap seriously, but doesn't have to be a nut job. He's out drinking a margarita, eating tortilla chips in the middle of a restaurant. Hanging out with normal people, looking like a normal person. And I think it might have been the first time that this guy ever had a conversation with somebody from a survivalist mentality, ever. And realized, hey, these people aren't nuts. Because the only thing he's probably ever seen on his big screen TV up till this point is a bunch of Michigan militia guys running around, firing off semi-automatic weapons with a little bit of camera trickery thrown in to make it look like they're fully automatic because the media doesn't think that semi-automatic is scary enough to make their point with their yellow journalism. All right, And before anybody gets on me about militias, I am all for militias, as long as you conduct yourself legally. I'm just saying that survivalist does not equal militia. And militia does not equal survivalist. There are militia members that are in it because they believe that there needs to be a civilian force available that aren't survivalists. They don't store food. I mean, most of them do, but some of them don't. They're not intertwined to the point where you must be one to be the other. And that's the message that we need to get out into society. So, you know, what when we talk to people, the important thing is not to point to the things that could happen, 
with the things that are happening. I just say, these are the things that we're just paying attention to right now. And we're not, like, living our lives in fear. We're not running away and hiding. We're not sticking our head in the sand either, though. So some of the things that you might point out right now, one, I think, pandemic flu is probably the best gateway to get the uninformed informed. Because if they check on it, if you say, look, there is a website, it is called pandemicflu.gov. It is a United States government website that's discussing the threat of potential flu pandemic in the world and telling you what you need to do about it as a citizen. This is not from me. This is not from any individual survivalist group. This is from our government that even though they're not publicizing it a great deal, knows they need to be honest about this threat so that if something happens, they've covered their ass. That's what this is. And if they go and check out that site and check out the corresponding links that go to the Center for Disease Control, and you check into the you know things like the Spanish flu, the two flu pandemics in the 50s and 60s, and they check all, they fact check it. If you get them interested enough to fact check it, it's all going to check out. And it's something that when you hear about a disease coming, you realize a disease doesn't care if you're rich or you're poor. A disease doesn't care what the 401k balance you have or IRA balance is. doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't even care how much food you have stored. All a disease knows is when it gets into a body, it runs its course. And if that course ends in death, it's an equal opportunity killer. And because it's frightening, and because it's probably going to happen someday, It's a good way to wake people up without you bringing the fear. You don't bring the fear. You just say, hey, look, we're just looking at it this way. This could occur. This might occur. There's actually a fairly good probability that sooner or later, even if it's not the flu, some disease is going to ravage mankind. There is nothing else to be done from a management and control standpoint, other than to lock populations down and prevent travel, to prevent the spread, and then fight the disease and let it run itself out. There's nothing else to be done. So all we're saying is we could end up, even if we're not infected, stuck in our homes. And if we're stuck in our homes even for a month, we don't want to be miserable. A pretty soft sell. Now the other thing to point to right now anyway, our stock market's under 7,000. The Dow Jones anyway. And I'm not convinced it won't go below six. You know, I thought the floor was around 72 to 6,800, I think is the number that I gave. 68 to 72 that I gave out a while ago. And I thought even the government might even stop trading, at least ban short-term short selling. Um, And it hasn't happened. And I don't know that Obama's going to do it. And it's almost like this guy wants it to get worse. But at least for right now. I guess the worse that it gets, the least little victory you need to make it look better. If we get, like, you know, 30% worse than we are right now, but by the time the guy's up for re-election, we're back to right here where we started, people are going to think it's good. So... I don't really know what's going on there, but all I would do is just exactly what I did with this gentleman. Hey, how's your 401k? And the people that were paying attention knew, at least had had the knowledge, that it might be a good idea to move some of all your money into cash or some other form of safe investment way before this happened. Now, some of them didn't act, but at least we knew. At least we had the opportunity. That might be a good one. The other thing to talk about 
And I wouldn't do this as a gateway, but if you get somebody that starts to be a little bit more interested, you know, just talk to them a little bit about our food supply and explain the food supply and the food distribution system to them. Let them understand what the threats to that system are right now. Tell them, hey, look, I'm going to tell you something right now, and it's going to sound a little bit out there, but if you fact check it, you're going to find out that 100% of it is true. That no one's even denying it. In fact, the people doing it are saying that they're doing it. And they're actually suing people for violating their patents. There's a company out there called Monsanto. They're the largest agricultural company in the world. They're patenting seeds. They're patenting seeds that, that then, once one farmer plants them, cross-pollinate into another farmer's field, and then they're going out and suing that farmer if he saves the seed for the next year for infringing on their patent, and the law is protecting them and letting them get away with it. They're developing seeds that have insecticides built into them. And they're putting that into our food supply. They're developing seeds that have a gene that's called a terminator gene that causes the seed to kill itself so that it can't reproduce. So that it'll make one crop you can eat or use for other purposes, like cotton seed for cotton seed oil or, or you know cotton for cotton production. But the seed in the plant won't work next year. Now, if that seed cross-pollinates and takes that terminator gene out into the biosphere, it could affect the entire food supply. On top of this, they're developing a solution of their own where they can spray their terminator seed gene with a chemical, and that chemical will shut the gene off so they can produce seed, but nobody else can. So the entire large-scale agricultural production capability is being consolidated into the hands of a few companies and specifically into the hands of one who is on a buying spree who's out there buying up all of its competitors so that it has complete and total control. Just understand what happens if this Terminator gene cross-pollinates itself out into all the independents that are left and shuts off their seed production. And once it starts, it's natural. No one can stop it. Now, it doesn't matter whether you think that the Monsanto guys are good or evil. What they're toying around with is like playing with a nuclear bomb. If it goes off, it goes off. Uh, So we're just concerned about the food supply. And the only recourse we have is to do some food storage, food preservation methods, and grow some of our own food. So just like your grandparents, just like your grandmother and your grandfather, we have a little garden plot in our backyard. And we grow our own food. And we buy seeds from people outside of that system. And we're not like, you know, completely paranoid freak, green freaks that are out there, you know, worried that one drop of fertilizer may touch our ground and destroy every earthworm. But we try to do things as organically as possible. And we don't deal with the conglomerate. We deal with the independents. Because we want to support the small business person and keep them in business. And we want to be able to preserve all these different lines of seeds and all this different diversity in agriculture that's going away. That there's, there's been tens of thousands of varieties of vegetables and fruits that have gone basically extinct 
in the last hundred years as modern agriculture moves down to one or two varieties of a given plant because it's the best for storage and transportation. doesn't matter how good it is for you. doesn't matter how good it tastes. Will it store well and can we transport it well because your salad's traveling 3,000 miles. So it's a big complex problem, but our solution is simple. A few raised beds, and we grow some of our own food, and we figured out how to do things like dehydrate some of our vegetables or can some of our vegetables, or simply blanch and freeze them, just so we have some control over what goes into our bodies. And the people that don't do this may not die. They may not be poisoned, but they live at the mercy of the system and they have no independence from it. That's a little bit deeper. That's a third conversation or a fourth conversation. But it will get people thinking. And again, what I like about it as a subject with the uninitiated is it is 100% factual. If they get on Google and start researching Monsanto and genetically modified foods and all these other things, they're going to find out that everything you've told them is 100% true. And you didn't say, oh, tomorrow the food supply is getting wiped out, and you're going to starve, and I'm an and you're a grasshopper, and you're going to die in the snow. Right? That's not a good... Ent- I mean, there's some truth there, but that's not a good entry-level conversation with people if you want them to take you seriously and take the survivalist community seriously and, and alter their lives for the better for their own good, not for yours. And then the next thing, this is the one that I just can't see how anybody's not paying attention to right now, but it doesn't seem like anybody except the right-wing conservative talk show hosts are, and it's because it's an anti-Obama message, and we shouldn't give a damn if this has anything to do with Obama or not. Everybody right now should be puking their guts out over the proposed economic plan that we're looking at. I'm not talking about the stimulus bill. I'm talking about all of it. The current administration's plan going forward, running a deficit while we're being told we have to spend responsibly and cut waste and blah, 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 puts us in a $21 trillion deficit by 2020 when you run the numbers out. $21 trillion in the hole. $21 trillion. Now let me drive the trillion number home because I don't think a lot of people even get what a trillion is. A million, okay, a million is one greater than 999,999. It is ten one hundred thousands added up together. That makes a million. Now a billion is not a hundred million. A billion is a thousand million. A billion is a thousand million. Billion is a lot of money. A thousand millions to a billion. There's a thousand billions to a trillion. A thousand billions to a trillion. So 21 trillion is 21,000 billion, 21,000 billions, or 210,000 million. It's staggering. It's more money than there exists, period. There is not enough money to make $21 trillion. 
dollars. It doesn't exist. It's not there. Now, it will be there. Why will it be there? Because the Federal Reserve will print it. And when they print it, they will devalue all the other money that's in the system. This is a really deep conversation. So you just might want to point out, instead of explaining what I'm about to explain to you, so you understand why it matters, you can answer questions if they come. But you just might want to point out that we're going to be $21 trillion in debt by 2020. $21 trillion. And at $21 trillion, how big that number is. But a trillion is a thousand billion. And a billion is a thousand million. Just get your head around that. And that's our plan. That's if everything goes right. That's that's success. It's getting ourselves into $21 trillion in debt. And at some point, where does that money come from? It comes from the rest of the world. And will they stop giving us the money? Just ask the person a question. Hey, if you ran your house this way, how long could you do it? You know, how long could you keep spending more than, than you make before you get into a cascade effect where you just fail? You just lose. You can't make the interest payments anymore. That's what we're headed for as a country. The country is by plan right now heading for bankruptcy. And we're hoping it doesn't happen. And, and, and odds are it won't. Odds are that we're going to see a rebellion at the ballot box coming soon. And we're going to start turning this thing back around. It's still going to get bad. It's still going to get ugly. And it's still going to get nasty. But at some point the American people are just going to go, no. But they might not. Because a lot of a lot of the American people are completely asleep. So we're worried about our money. We're worried about you know just leaving your stock market investments the way they are. We're worried about not having any kind of a plan B. The market goes up great, but what if it doesn't? So we do things like we own a little bit of gold. We own a little bit of silver. We have maybe some cash investments. We keep a little bit of cash in the house in a strong box so it won't get burned in a fire. Or in a safety deposit box in a bank that's different than the bank we have our bank account in. So we can get our hands on cash if we need it. The electrical, you know, something happens to the electrical grid for God's sakes. And nobody can take a credit card for a few days. At least we have some cash. So we just live in a rational concept of the government is doing stupid things with the money supply. And that $21 trillion doesn't even take into account the whole in Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. And we're going to end up with a whole generation of people probably retiring one day with no Social Security. Even your financial advisor is telling you, if you're 40 or under, do not count on one dime from Social Security. Financial advisors are telling us that. So what's going to happen in 25 years when those people that thought they were getting it, that didn't listen, start retiring without Social Security? How are we going to fill the hole? What's that going to do to the economy? We don't know the answers to these questions. We can't tell you whether the market's going up and down tomorrow. We can guess at it. Sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. But we can look at the major trend over the next six months and go, it ain't good right now. It's bad. And we're just trying to make sure that we don't bet only for the market to win. Because when you invest your money in anything other than a guaranteed return, it's a bet. It's a gamble. The market goes up, you win. The market goes down, you lose. And all these people that are day traders and all that stuff, those guys make a ton of money one day and they lose it the next. And we don't want to play that way. That has to be your full-time job. We don't have time for that. All we do is we diversify our investments beyond mutual funds. That's it. That's a pretty good message as well. And I think it helps a lot of people, especially now. Because now they're feeling the pain. 
and they're going, well, maybe one day my money will come back. And my response to that is, yeah, it probably will. I don't think we're at the end. I don't think this is the final flush. It could be. Some days I look at this and I really go, God, this doesn't look good. But I do think we're going to have at least one more big inflationary bubble that's going to drive everything back up before it goes back down. But my point is, let's say that you had $200,000 in your 401k. It's now worth ninety. Even when it gets back to 200000 you still lost. Because you've waited five or six years for that to happen, just to get back even with the playing field, where if you would have sold when it was at 200000 and took your profits, because the market was at an all-time high. When the market's at an all-time high, folks, that's when you get out. That is when you get out. Whenever the market hits a super all-time high, within a year to two at the most, it always comes down. And it could be a day, it could be a year, but it always comes down. It never blows through that high and just cruises on another 20%. Doesn't happen. It's never happened. It happened one time, the dot-com bubble. If you didn't see that one coming, I was with you, and I took the hit too. And I decided I'm never taking it again. And still, if you would have jumped at the all-time high, you still would have been better off. You still won long-term. So when you start to see these record highs, record highs, record highs every day, consecutively, over and over and over again, we're going higher than ever before, times are great, the band is playing, da-da-da-da-da-da, right? you got to, at that point, start looking for signs. Where's the problems coming from? And as soon as you can start seeing the problems coming, and as soon as you start seeing the Fed raise interest rates to put the brakes on and slow an overgrowing economy down, you bail, and you just wait. When it comes down, and you feel comfortable, then you buy some back. Right? And this is not stock trading. These are years between these transactions, not days, not months, not weeks. And at all times, there's some money in gold. All times. You're a brand new person, you're 18 years old, you don't have any money, you don't have enough money to buy gold. Right? But you're putting away 10% of your salary, take 250 for every $10, put it in a cash account. Build cash with it until you have enough cash to start buying some gold with it. Take 25% of your investments, put it into gold and or silver. Or 20%. Or 15 Whatever you want to do. But have something there. Because it's never going to be worth nothing. It's your hedge. It's what if something goes wrong. These are the types of things that we should be discussing with the uninformed. Not the United Nations. The minute that word comes out of your mouth, then there's a threat there. There's a reasonable threat there. But not with the new person. They're not ready for that yet. Telling them that your 401k has been cut in half and it might take 10 years or more for you to get back to where you were, that's bad enough. That, 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 that they don't even want to accept. Telling them that the flu could rage and kill their children, that they don't want to accept. You have to go easy with new people. And then you have to understand that the more you give them at one time, the less likely it is to be received. So you pick one of these subjects that the person you're talking to seems most likely to be willing to listen to. You give them the information, and you only give them more if they ask. And then you give them some resources. Like I said, pandemicflu.gov. Right? I mean, it's really an easy site to give out. It has credibility. A person can believe what's happening. You want to tell them to look at the market, tell them to go to finance.google.com, pull up the Dow Jones, and look at it over 10 years or 20 years, and see when the last time the market was this low and how long they could have buy and held the way they were told and still broke even or lost money. 
and let them sort it out for themselves. They'll usually come back around. You may never even know they came back around, but they'll come back around through another angle. And uh, I think that kind of wraps up today's show, but I, I just wanted to talk to you guys about that today, about the stigma and not worrying about having the stigma. So you're not trying to shrug the stigma off because you got a thin skin, but if you don't take the time to explain things in a rational, level-headed manner, one subject at a time, that our community doesn't grow. And if our community doesn't grow, we're all worse for it. The more of us that think like this, the more of an impact we have on Election Day, and the more of an impact we have on the economy and society, and the more stability we build into our economy. Because if all of our grandparents were around, we wouldn't be in this mess right now. If your grandparents and your great-grandparents were still alive today, all of the people that are out there pissing money away would have their ear twisted like a piece of cauliflower and be drug out on the doorstep and whipped with a broom for being so stupid with their money and their investments. And I think if some politicians' grandparents were still around, they'd go grab their young congressman by the ear and take a switch to their backside. And they would use grandma and grandpa logic from a lost day. And that is you don't spend money that you don't have. If you borrow money, you have a plan to pay it back, you pay it back quickly. You don't borrow more until that debt is recovered. Your goal is to own what you have, not to have somebody else provide it to you and be in debt to them. You plan for a rainy day because it always rains sooner or later. You save your money because there's value in a dollar. And if those people were still around, if their wisdom was still with us, we wouldn't be in this mess. And that's what this modern survivalism is really about. It's just about bringing back the wisdom from 100 years ago. That's not that long ago. Man has become so arrogant in his assessment of time that we think 1985 was a long time ago. And it's easy to laugh at a guy in a picture wearing a members-only jacket, young generation, with a mullet. And go, look at that idiot. Your children are going to look at pictures of you and they're going to laugh at you and call you an idiot. You'll be that guy in the members-only jacket from 1985, 20 years from now. That will be you. 20 years is going to go by like that, folks. And 100 is just five of those. And 100 years ago, in 1920, your grandparents had food stored in their home. If the lights went out, and there was electricity in a lot of America, if the lights went out, they had a way to keep warm and they had a way to have light. When the phone line didn't work, when you cranked it and asked for them to connect you to Bill, they had a way, a network of people that could tell people to get information from one place to another. When somebody had bad times, they all gathered around and they helped them out. It's not that long ago. And those people were a lot smarter than we give them credit for today. And they weren't burdened by a tax day that penalized them at 40 to 50% of their income like we are today. Because they wouldn't have allowed it. That's what modern survivalism really is. It's not living like Mad Max beyond Thunderdome in the future. It's living like most of America lived 80 to 100 years ago with modern conveniences because we don't give up 
all the beautiful things in life. I'm not giving up my microwave. I'm not giving up my glass top stove. I'm not giving up my air conditioner. But I have a plan to deal with it if they stop working. That's not insanity. That's not fringe. That's common freaking sense. And that's what modern survival is, um, is, is bringing common sense back to America. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. It doesn't matter because it all gets spent.